You might not have put two and two together or realize that this podcast, it's actually produced by a nonprofit, listener-supported Wyoming Public Media. We're just a little old station housed in a basement on the beautiful University of Wyoming campus. We aren't getting paid big bucks as a for-profit business. No siree, we're making this podcast not for money, but because everyone on our team believes in what we do, telling the missing stories of the real American West. But that means we rely on people like you. If you make sure to download every episode as soon as it comes out, or have been telling all your friends what a big Modern West fan you are, or would be seriously bummed if we disappeared from your feed, If all that describes you, I wonder if you'd take a quick minute to do something for me. Get into your browser and search for themodernwest.org and find the donate button. It doesn't matter how much you commit to, $5 or $100. It just matters that you show us that you want us to keep telling these stories. My recommendation? Pause this episode and do it real quick before you forget at themodernwest.org. From Wyoming Public Media and PRX, this is the Modern West, exploring the evolving identity of the American West. I'm Melody Edwards. Thanks so much for coming along with us for this very special season, as the Modern West has explored how the Plains Indian Wars, well, they aren't really over. The attack on native ways of life continues to reverberate in the disproportionate violence against indigenous women, in the erasure of native perspectives in the media and in the classroom, and in the high rates of incarceration and health disparities. And the fight for native sovereignty, that's still happening too in movements like Land Back and the MMIW movement. Before I sign off for this season, I want to bring you one final conversation with Lakota historian Dr. Jeff Means, a professor of Native American history at the University of Wyoming. Today, I talked to him about healing the history of the Plains Wars, both what Native communities are doing to heal it and what the United States could do to acknowledge and begin to repair its past. As you might have noticed from previous episodes, Jeff is a committed skeptic, but still, I decide to start by asking Jeff, does he believe healing this history is even possible? I do think it's possible, simply because anything is possible, really, in these relationships. As long as there's sincerity on both sides, absolutely. I'm far more pessimistic, though, about (laughs) it actually happening. There's no real history of the United States wanting to acknowledge any wrongdoing in anything. And if anything, culturally right now, the pendulum has swung the other way where, you know, it's more about uh, pretending that these things never happened than actually acknowledging them and saying, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. They're trying to hide history in American textbooks, which are published all in Texas, a very red state. And you know, the efforts to turn slaves into immigrants or completely gloss over Native American history or ignore it are just part of that idea that, you know, if we just don't think about it, it didn't happen. Let's pretend that we didn't do this and therefore we can feel fine about ourselves, right? This is all good. It's ridiculous. So is there a chance now 
no. In the future, absolutely. I, I, again, Native nations aren't going anywhere. We've been around for the entire existence of this Western Hemisphere in the United States, well before the United States. And we'll be around when the United States finally catches up culturally to what Natives have known a long time, which is you should base your nation on kinship. You should establish friendships with others based on kinship, trust, respect, these kinds of things, not capitalism. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> it's one of those things where, you know what? I mean, this is just Western culture. This is the way we have developed, right? But it can't all be about fear and money. We have to get past those two things. And and a lot of people have. And, and there's a lot of tremendous support, I think, from both sides of the aisle in Washington for reparations and a healing. It's just really tough in this political atmosphere to get anything done along those lines. From within, you know, are you seeing that communities are finding ways of kind of addressing, you know, historical trauma, intergenerational trauma? Is there is there ways in which you're seeing that, you know, in your own community that there's progress there? Yeah, there's there's always uh, cases of progress being made, but then there's just as much of a chance of taking a step backward as well. It's really hard to overcome the obstacles that have been put in place as far as this whole settler process to recover from that. You know, I mean, you didn't have any political power or structure or economic base or foundation for the longest time. And now you're trying to establish this, but you're doing so handicapped by the fact that this other culture has infiltrated your own to a, such a degree that there's always going to be different ideas about exactly what should we do and how should we do it and what are we going to be and so on because you've lost who you used to be. You're not that anymore. Okay. You can still be Lakota. I'm still Lakota, but I'm not the Lakota from before the reservation, right? I can never be that. None of us can ever be that until we can gain full sovereignty, full freedom from the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's asking a lot. <laughs> that is. I mean, it is. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it can be done. I mean, basically, the United States would have to say, you know what? And it would be a lot cheaper for them, by the way. They could get rid of the Bureau of Indian Affairs and all these kind of, kind of wonderful things. But just say, you know what? All the native reservations are going to now be independent nations. They're going to have their own passports. But it'd be like Canada, right? I mean, where it, the most longest undefended border in the in the world, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be. A conflict, it, 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 you can, again, be mutual respect, friendship, support, and, you know, allow the natives then to eventually come to a decision on who are we and what do we want to be. And every native nation would come to something different, right? But it would at least be theirs and they would be in control of it. Yeah. But yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon. <laughs> well, so yeah, that, that leads me to my next question, which is what are you seeing in terms of the indigenous youth? Is there kind of a will, especially, you know, with like Sanding Rock there, it felt like there was a, a kind of a surge of passion and vision from, from indigenous youth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They're the hope, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
we old farts aren't going to get it done. Um, <laughs> and I think we've proven that. Yeah, especially with their ability to organize through social media and, and various different things. You know, they now can respond quickly to any kind of a, an emergency like a Standing Rock. And they can do so now from a place of power because they, they're not ashamed of who they are anymore okay the united states tried for the longest time to keep telling natives that everything about you is wrong and you suck and now after the 1960s took that back and said no you know what it's it doesn't suck to be a native american and so absolutely oh such hope for our youth to keep the the push for sovereignty and getting the land reparations and everything else because they have the energy for it, they have the intelligence for it. Now they have—I mean—they have that pride and that energy to really overcome anything. So let's yeah. hope. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I'm hearing a lot about, and and that I'm going to be exploring in this episode, is the arts as a place of where where healing seems like it's happening a little bit as well just like a a willingness by artists to kind of thumb their nose at sort of expectations of what is traditional native american art and to to reclaim that and and do really amazing stuff with that yeah absolutely in fact i was just on a committee a ma committee in from anthropology where the student explored this very issue I think that Native artists have really reclaimed in a lot of ways what they see as legitimate and, and are using mediums and styles that fly in the face of what traditional Native artistry used to be. And I think that's fantastic. Ledger art's my particular favorite, okay? I, I just love that. But there are so many wonderful Native artists out there who, you know, they, they're just, they're doing what they want to do and what the art tells them to do, just like any artist. And so it's a really fruitful field, I think, for any kind of attempted healing and so on, because art kind of transcends culture, right? I mean, what do you think? I, I agree. And you're seeing a lot of artists, like one of the, the gals that I interviewed. Yeah, she, she does quill work. She does bead work. So it's traditional, but she's doing all these new things with it. So she still has those skills that are, you know, handed down and that, that she's learned, but that she's do it just like willing to try all sorts of cool things with it. And it's not just something that's, you know, being sold at Western, at, at the Santa Fe art show, <laughs> right. you know, uh, art show or whatever. It, it, it's it's transcending. Yeah. And, and, the, and the fantastic thing about it too is that when you ask the artist, what's your inspiration, you actually find something out about Native history, right? And from the Native perspective, oh, this is why I'm doing this, right? And so it's educational. It, yeah, definitely beautiful things being done in the world of art. I'm a big art fan, so yeah. if you ever came to my office, you'd really. I have paintings and all uh, kinds dang. of stuff all I, over I, the place. I should have uh, met there one time. And I should tell you that at the dairy, where they have this sacred space that they've created, there was a ledger art show that while I was there. So you might you might want to 
And you didn't pick me up a piece? I, I'm sorry. It was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just, I, it spaced. I spaced. Oh, sorry. well, I'll tell you what. You can go ahead and get me one online and, okay. and that'll make up for it. <laughs> okay. Don't spend too much. Though. I know. Like it's, <laughs> that's the thing. It's worth a lot now. And then, you know, one other thing that in this kind of is, is an extension of what we were just saying about art, which is that a lot of the healing methods, one one gal that I talked to is doing all sorts of really amazing healing with uh, incarcerated women, Native women, and using sort of traditional approaches, sweats, and another sort of traditional healing approaches. Is that something that you are hearing about, seeing? What do you think of that? I hadn't heard about that one, uh, particularly. I know it has taken place. Uh, I didn't know there was a concerted effort to, to move forward with that. That sounds fantastic. Anything that you can do to heal someone's spirit is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. It's you know, right? I mm-hmm. mean, yep. I mean that—that's the core of of your future. Is how how do you see the world? How do you feel about yourself? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the things around you, etc.? So when you can get somebody to a place where they're content, they're happy, and they're more thoughtful, maybe a little wiser, that's just that's a win for everybody. Yeah. You anyway. know, I've never asked. Are you native? No. Okay. Just the, no, in your fact, middle name is Star. So I I'm know, uh, and that's actually a family name. But supposedly, my mom has traced both sides of my family, both my mother and father's sides of the family, back to the Mayflower. So, yeah, I am as much of a colonialist as you get. <laughs> I mean, in fact, I went and read the book, The Mayflower, and I, my mom had printed up sure. all of my relatives so that I could see just who all the bad guys are. Right. I'm related to all of them. Oh, are in you? The, in the all the bad story. guys? Yep. I'm, I'm related to all the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, good yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's horrible. But it's something I think, you know, I think it's part of like, you know, part, when as I've done a lot of this reporting, that it, it was something I felt like I needed to kind of come to terms with was my own sort of family history you know, just recognizing that I wasn't necessarily on the good guy's side. And But first of all, give your relatives a break, okay? okay? Because it's all relative, right? We can't fully understand the security of the belief in, in Western culture of their superiority to everyone else. Mm-hmm. They were, I mean, it's, yeah. it's unfathomable now to think how secure they were in that. And so their actions... To anyone outside of what they considered civilized people was completely justified in their minds. So while we look back and say, oh, my gosh, my relatives were horrible. Okay, at the time, they were probably seen as do, you know, people who got things done and by gosh, (laughs) look how wonderful they are. And so on. So you can only act on 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 what your culture is telling you. So I would say, you know, none of this is about white guilt. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't feel bad about that. Okay. That's that's I really I I have thought a lot about this back and forth and I I really appreciate that insight because it it is kind of like this whole business of white guilt and I think that there's something to just kind of like recognizing that like you say when you read what like my ancestors were saying at the time that was the mind frame that they came from it was very christian and they were a superior race and they were doing what they thought 
they had to do, which was to spread Christianity as far and wide as they possibly could. But and it, it just it, it's like the whole lesson of this whole project that we've been kind of working on together. It, it's like looking at that and saying, you know, and, and I had somebody even tell me, a gal from the Indian Boarding School Healing Coalition, you know, the the reason you study this history, the reason it's important to not ignore this history is because you don't want to be committing these kinds of atrocities again. Right. Um, absolutely. And you know what? I think it would be good for the psyche of the United States to get to the point where it could acknowledge these things, you know, because according to the laws of the United States of America, okay, what they did to Native Americans was a crime. But the real point is, by the United States' own standards, okay, they stole the land, they committed some horrible acts of violence and an acknowledgement of that and a a true attempt to say god man this was a bad part of us it would help the united states understand itself better and i'm talking about the nation as as if it's one entity but it really can be through education it's simply a, a matter of education and that's why it's not about white guilt it's about white education you know, because the more people are educated about the past, the more they know about it, the more they can say, you know what, that's okay. We, my ancestors did this stuff, right? Not me, but I can, I can try and make it better. And we can live together and we can actually enjoy one another's company and learn from one another, really move forward to a, a much better place. But it can't start until that you start with the education and yeah. everything else. Yeah. So where you could like we could revel in sort of a, a an identity, a group identity. But until then, it's just this fractured feeling. Have you been sort of following what's been going on in Canada in terms of some of their approach to trying to address? You know, especially the residential schools there, and and just like a little bit, yeah. It, 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 they have like an apology day, an, or you wear an orange shirt day, uh, you know, and and actually like setting aside funding to try and create, like actually giving money to people who who survived uh, residential schools, and and it seems like there's a little bit of an attempt to do some of that. Yeah, and I th I think that that's great for, that Canada's doing this. I think it has to in the United States be something that's very bipartisan. I have, I think it has to mm -hmm. be honest, sincere. The, uh, obviously the president and Congress is going to have to lead it. Any effort to say, you know what, we did these things and it, but it's okay because we acknowledge it and we are sorry, right? Because who doesn't feel better when you apologize after knowing you've done something bad, right? You always feel better when you say you're sorry. And that would be the true for the United States. You don't feel better when you say it never happened or deny that it happened. That just festers. That was University of Wyoming professor Jeff Means joining us for a final conversation. Thanks so much to Jeff for his generosity of time and guidance and humor throughout this whole season. I'm Melody Edwards. Our story editor this season is Ojibwe playwright Marty Strenzewilk. Noah Greenspan is the assistant producer and the line editor. Our sound designer is Charles Fournier. 
Ryan Kelly is the digital producer. Thanks also for help from Tina Unger-McGee, Emily Jankowski, and Courtney Blackmer-Reynolds. To see Anna Kostro's original photography for this season, go to our website at themodernwest.org. Music has been by Eastern Shoshone musician Sean Francis and his band Pegasus, Navajo musicians Low Cash Ninjas, Klingup musician Kasky Russell, and Apache musician Andrew Vasquez, among others. Our theme song is by Screen Door Porch. This podcast was produced on the University of Wyoming campus that occupies the ancestral and traditional lands of the Cheyenne, Arapaho, Crow, and Shoshone indigenous peoples, along with other native tribes who call the Great Basin and the Rocky Mountain region home. We recognize, support, and advocate alongside indigenous individuals and communities who live here now and with those forcibly removed from their homelands. We always love hearing from our listeners. Reach out to us at themodernwestpod at gmail.com. We're also on social media at Modern West Pod. If you love this show and care about this kind of storytelling, share it with a friend or leave us a review. The Modern West is a production of PRX and Wyoming Public Media. our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories that we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. We're at Modern West Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's Modern West Pod.